This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to The Baird Inn. I'm Matt Workman. I'm joined by Joe. Joe, when I asked you if you want to record a day early, you know, it was from a purely selfish place because I want to watch the NFL draft tomorrow and I wanted to focus on that. And then things happened that made it very uh, fortuitous that we recorded tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Something that um, I think most Baylor football fans have been waiting to hear an announcement on. Uh, we finally got our announcement yesterday evening. Um, around who the starting quarterback would be. Yeah. Um, and both you and I were very wrong. Yeah. All spring, I've been saying, I'm, I'm certain that, you know, because from what I've heard from reports from the, I know that's a limited amount of time that media get to, or anyone gets to like um, watch practices. They get like, what, 20 minutes of um, public practice time. But it was like oh, how great Gary has been. And even they are like from their sources in the program. Gary's been doing an amazing job and all that. So going up into the spring game, it was – I felt he was just going to have a good display and kind of cement himself as the starter. And uh, that didn't happen. Not that he played bad in the spring game. Uh, but – yeah, Blake Schaefer was named a starter, or reportedly hasn't been official or anything like that, but all reports are, are pointing to that uh, and other events have led me to believe this is true. Yeah, I mean, when we're when we're looking at uh, the choice of Blake Shapin being the starting quarterback for Baylor, um I, I saw somebody mention this on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, but basically it was they thought that it meant that the team had a lot of confidence in the offensive line and running game that we have through our running backs right now. Yeah. That they they thought that the the extra piece, which is kind of the deep ball, right? Like Shapin's a little bit better at pushing the ball downfield than Gary was. Um adding that uh wouldn't hurt the offense um by not having a guy that was is a more 
rugged runner like Gary is sure. that they they trust the run game a little bit more and the personnel that we have there that they can say, OK, we don't have to worry about having a quarterback that can, you know, add an extra wrinkle into the run game. Not that Blake Shapin can't run. I mean, he he was mobile enough and I think yeah. he proved to us that he's a pretty tough dude, but he's not six three two forty. Yeah, but he did get hurt. And, yeah. you know, so I don't know how much they really want him to be running. But I think he he you take away that QB run wrinkle that was built into Gary's DNA and you add in the wrinkle of probably a bit more um, ability to push the ball down the field. So it's interesting. Um, I think you and I have talked a lot about how this Grimes playbook is going to open up in year two. Yeah. And I, and I, I probably think that what happened was when they looked at it, they thought Gary's a great quarterback and he was exactly what we needed in year one with uh you know keeping things simple i you and i were talking about an article out of the athletic earlier this week where they mentioned last year it took until the 13th practice in fall practice before they uh, they installed their second run play they installed their second run play in the second or in the third spring practice of this year already yeah. So I think we're already seeing that that playbook is opening up a bit more. And I'm what I'm guessing happened is they said that we want to take the offense to the next step. And that's having somebody that maybe has a bit more explosive of an arm, a little bit more accurate on the deep ball. I think Gary was phenomenal at running the offense last year, and he was really, really good at the intermediate passing game. Um, but I think I think Shapin probably just has a little bit more arm talent than he does. And that's probably what they were looking for. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you look at it, this is um, you what Gary saw even last year going through the the games is a lot of defenses they would they would crowd the line, stack the box, make it more, try to make it more difficult and be able to run because they didn't respect the deep ball. Right, and you're just going to keep defenses a little bit more honest when you have someone who can throw it, you know, 50, 60 yards down the field to a a speeding receiver that Baylor has seemed to have plenty of those. Um, and our best year. offensive outputs last year were when we were able to stretch the defense in the passing game. Yeah. You think about the first half of Iowa state, we were Gary did a, that was one of Gary's better, better games at pushing the ball down the field. You look at the West Virginia game. We were able to push the ball down the field. You look at the first half of the Oklahoma state game in the big 12 championship. We were pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. Um, you know, throwing fades to the end zone on, on some great touch. Uh, and Shapin was a big part of that. So uh, I am I am very interested to see what happens uh, with the new offense because it, it'll be a different offense than we saw last year for sure. I mean, you lose your two starting running backs and now you're starting quarterback. You, you have a completely new core plus a completely new, essentially wide receiving core that's going to go out there. So from a skill position standpoint, it's a total revamp when it comes to personnel and offense next year. Uh, now we do have the majority of the offensive line returning and that's the, that's the heart and soul the, of this RVO, the re- reliable, violent offense. Yeah. But I think we're going to see a little bit of finesse come out of this too. Maybe, maybe more of uh, what Grimes was able to do uh, at BYU after he had Zach Wilson for a couple of years. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit of that. Um, I think I was expecting to see some of that, even if Gary had won the starting job, I thought Gary was ready to take a step forward. Um, and I, 
I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like we're saying that Gary wouldn't be able to add new wrinkles to the offense or, or handle an expanded playbook. Um, I think he absolutely could have uh, what I'm guessing just happened was Shapin was just slightly better at it on a day-to-day basis than, than Gary was. And I think um, the spring game kind of proved like Gary is still a little bit too cautious, maybe in the passing game. Like he's, 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 he thinks possession of the football is so important, which it is. He holds it in such high regard that he doesn't want to throw interceptions or that's at least what I see from, you know, from my view and where Shapin just has more of the, like, I'm just going to sling it. I'm going to trust my receivers. I'm going to throw it and expect them to make a play. Yeah. There definitely is a mentality difference there. Whereas I think, Gary was an amazing game manager. And I'm not saying that like there are a lot of people use that in a negative connotation with quarterbacks. Like I'm not meaning it in that way. I mean, he literally went out there and he never got too high or too low. If there was a three and out, it's like, okay, we'll go out there and get it next time. At least we didn't screw up. Gary, Gary wasn't the type of quarterback that was going to go out there and lose the game for you. Shapin is a little bit more of the kind of guy that he's just, he's going to go out there and let it fly and go try to win the game for you. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, and watching the spring game, I think you kind of saw that was was evident. But if you watched it, like, did you get to watch much of it or replay? Did you watch a replay? Uh, I've just seen some some plays in passing. Plays I, did, I didn't get a chance to watch it. But I did I did see it was funny. Like, um, Stats of War on Twitter, Parker, he, he compiled stats. He was uh, talking about how this is probably the best decision for Baylor. And he looks at it purely as a, even though he is a TCU guy, he was looking at it purely from a statistical and um, advanced analytics standpoint and uh, how he was like, some Baylor fans are acting like that Dave Aranda was picking Shapin, who is good over the all conference quarterback. And while I love Gary, I mean, he he was like you said, not in a pejorative way. Was he, he kind of managed games? Yeah, like I again, I wouldn't have any problem if Gary had won it, um, and I I thought he would. We both we both were firmly in the camp of Gary's going to be the starting quarterback, um, but that's not what happened. The other thing we have to realize is, as fans, we we read things that media members who, as you mentioned, get limited exposure see. Yeah, we we get to see like handfuls of plays that are posted on Twitter. We get to watch a glorified scrimmage, which is the you know, the spring game. These coaches are there day to day talking, interacting, watching every single rep that these guys do in practice, how the receivers interact with them, um, how they, you know, how they mesh with the offensive system, the instincts that they have with the guys that are around them, um, and like I said, like the things that they can do to boost the people around them and, and boost the offensive, uh, play calling that can exist. So as much as I love Gary, I respect Gary. And I, I was really rooting for him to win the starting job. I'm never going to be the kind of person that like thinks like, you know, Aranda made a bad choice or, um, you know, we should have stuck with Gary for the sake of seniority or the fact that he was the starting quarterback last year. No, I like I like that Aranda, you know, makes these tough decisions. We saw it with him getting rid of Larry Fedora after year one and, and deciding yeah. like, hey, I need to go in a different direction. Um, and with this, like for me, when you preach person over player, right? To me, that means you're constantly being honest 
with everybody and you're giving everybody like a shot. Like you're not out there practicing, you know, giving up your blood, sweat and tears on a day to day basis for for this team and not really competing for the chance to start. Like when something like this happens, this is a huge signal to recruits and guys that are currently on the team that like it doesn't matter, man. Like if you're good enough, you're going to get to play. And uh, when you make a change at quarterback like that, I think to me that shows that Aranda really does practice what he preaches. Like he made a tough decision. Like I guarantee you in the one-on-one meeting that he had with Gary, when he was like, Hey, I'm going to go with Blake. This is just the way like that. Probably that's not an easy conversation to have. Um, Also it's, it's, it speaks to a person over player and the timing. Cause he could have strung this along in a fall camp and then made it a hundred percent. Yeah. Then Gary is stuck as the backup because Baylor would have, would, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Would have been better off with Gary's backup just with his experience and um, last year and everything, but he did what was best. What in what would have been best for Gary to give him options. He could still stay. He's in the transfer portal, but that doesn't mean he's transferring. He's just looking at his options. Most likely he will. But he, he, uh, most coaches would have not made this decision in April. They would have waited until fall camp. Yeah, it would have been, you know, we just want to make sure we make the right decision for the team, blah, blah, blah. It would have been all this, all the coach speak in the world. Really, you what know, you're doing is holding a kid hostage. Like, have this, like Lincoln Riley was classic, does this whenever he has like Kyler Murray and he says, Well, I don't know who starters are going to be. Yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> it's going to be the five-star transfer from AM. You're not going to go in here and start Tanner Mordecai. Yeah. I mean, and whoever, I don't know. Who so, so good on Aranda for, you know, practicing this, making what he believes is the best decision as a head coach. He may pick, the, he may have picked wrong. Who knows? He may have, but I respect his ability to yeah. go out there, evaluate and make, and make the choice. I think it also speaks to their confidence in, um, in Cameron drones as a backup that if something were to happen, he could step in and run the offense. Correct. Yeah. I mean, cause you have to know that when you make this decision during this time, you know, with a few days left before the transfer portal essentially closes, right. The transfer portal deadline, you had to know that you're with Gary having one year of eligibility left. There's a high likelihood he's going to transfer and more power to him. Um, he's a graduate. You know, so he's, a, yeah, he's, he's already graduated. He's got yeah. his degree from Baylor. He, He's been here for four years already. He's he, you know, was the key, honestly, piece in helping deliver us a Big 12 championship. He was a starting quarterback for us in our Sugar Bowl victory. Um, and he's he he just did so much for us. So he's there's nothing more that we can ask for Gary if he wants to go somewhere where he can make sure that he gets to play his last year of of college football and maybe try to you know, take that next step, move his game to the next level and be considered uh, as a possible pro more power yeah. to him, man. <clears throat> yeah, Honestly, so- you know, when I look at, when I look at him, I, I see, I can't help, but think of Jalen hurts. Yeah. It's a perfect um, comparison with the, the two of Jalen hurts situation. And then this one. Yeah, because, you know, to tell you the truth, if Gary doesn't get hurt against Kansas State last year, this conversation probably never happens. It does because we don't see. There, yeah, there's probably not a QB battle because, you know, we, we'll there. Shapin will never have gone in and gotten game action to where the coaches think we really do need to make this like give, let's give Shapin the opportunity to get the first team reps. What would have happened was 
if Gary would have stayed the starter the whole year had not gotten hurt when we got into spring this year, it would have been Gary needs as many reps as possible with the first team so that he can mesh well with the receiving core and the running backs. And I don't, I don't think you would have seen that seen a battle where Shapin was getting first team reps and it, and it, it is a true battle where they're utilizing the same skill position players and just seeing who works with them better. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I look at the journey that Jalen hurts took, and I hope it's kind of the same thing for, for Gary. I mean, a lot of people had written off Jalen hurts ends up transferring from Alabama to Oklahoma. And now he's the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I don't think when he, when Tua took over for him at Alabama, anybody was thinking Jalen hurts future starting an NFL quarterback. Uh, so I, I think that's still in, in the cards uh, for Gary. If he can go somewhere, really show off, continue to learn, maybe go somewhere that has, um, uh, you know, another really good offensive mind. Uh, I've heard, uh, I've heard Missouri is, is an option for him. They might be looking for a quarterback close to his uh, home, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's close to Arkansas. So uh, that would be cool for him getting the opportunity to go, uh, go play in the sec. Uh, if, if that was a team that might want him, but I do hope, I do hope if he does transfer, he lands somewhere. Um, and, and I have every, every reason to believe he will actually transfer, but you know, Good, good on the coaching staff. Good on the two guys, uh, both Shapin and and Bohannon pushing each other. Um, and you know, honestly, congrats to Blake Shapin for winning the starting quarterback job. And excited to see what he's going to do uh, come come the fall. Yeah, I've, the other place that I've heard re- referred to Gary would be maybe Arizona State. Glenn Thomas is the offensive coordinator there. He was the lead recruiter when he signed with Baylor back in. What was that 17, I guess? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're, they just lost the quarterback, transferred to LSU. They're starting quarterback. So, I don't know what their quarterback room looks like, but that could be a landing spot as well. Yeah. And I think, I think Pac 12 is another good spot for him. So, uh, Godspeed, Gary. If, if you do transfer, uh, I'll, I'll still consider you a Baylor Bear. So, unlike our daily podcast, like we led with quarterback discussion. And I think let's move on to the spring games. We kind of get off a quarterback and kind of go into the other positions. So I'm going to, I, like I said, I didn't get the opportunity to watch the spring game. So I want you to talk at me. Tell me what you saw. So what I saw was I'll just take it position group by position group. Um, So like first team offensive line looked great. I mean, they're, you know, against it's like it's one versus twos or one versus backups, however they do it. But the the O-line looked good, just like look, they picked up right where they um, left off. And probably more so because they were – they already know the offense now and they played a whole season together. Um, running back looked good. I think you saw a little bit of a struggle maybe when you had the second team O-line, but – I think it's pretty clear that Tay McWilliams and Squirrel Williams are going to be your like one, two. And it's kind of what everyone thought. I think it'll be like what everyone thought was we were going to have last year, but Ebner kind of turned himself into like a all around back, but you're going to have this super shifty home run threat. And you're also going to have a more of a bruising running back. Those are like your two, two options. And that's what you got with those two guys. 
wide receiver group, they're they're still fast, and I think um, they're young. But I, you saw a lot of um, promise for sure. Monterey Baldwin, Cam Bonner, they can, those guys can just fly. And now with the change in quarterback, you may have not that Gary can't throw the deep ball. He has a great arm, but you have a quarterback who's way more likely to to let it rip and and get those guys and throw those guys open. Did you um, – so you said you saw some clips. Did you see anything or that stood out to you? No, not really particularly. Like, I I, I went back and I watched um, – I watched some throws. And, okay. oh, who was the – I what I did remember seeing was who's your who's your favorite quarterback? Um, oh, C.J. Rogers. Yeah, I, I saw a couple throws from C.J. Rogers. And, and I have to say, like, okay, I see what you're seeing now. He, that dude, that dude does look legit. And he's just his whole thing was he was under he was under recruited because of there's a whole the COVID scenario. He couldn't go to camps that year. So he no one really knew about him. He played a spring season, so it was just it was just all off. He's from Argyle. So as he had, if it everything had been like a normal cycle, he would have had D1 offers, or I should say D1, but like power five offers group of five offers he would have had big and um, Baylor kind of lucked out because he's a preferred walk-on but um, I don't think he'll be a walk-on very much longer they they love him from all reports the coaches love him enough to you know they moved on from from Gary because they had faith in the backup quarterbacks and so I think uh, I don't know if he'll ever be the starting quarterback at Baylor this day and age and like the transfer portal who knows what will happen, especially if he shows development. But, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he showed he could, uh, he could throw the ball. That's for sure. He may have been aided by wind, but I won't hold that against him. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked what I saw from him, but, but yeah, I, uh, it's almost like, you know, I'm normally not like a spoiler guy. Uh, like I, meaning I don't really care about spoilers. Like yeah, I'll, I'll go, okay. I'm like you, like I'll go look up stuff before I go see a movie. But with this football season, there's just going to be so much new stuff. And like, I'd love to just go back and watch a replay of the spring game, but it's just the spring game. It's a glorified scrimmage. scrimmage. And I don't want to get like my hopes up or like, uh, like false belief around a certain guy. I'm just excited that we're, we're about to hit the summer and then once the summer's over, we'll get to go like, you know, full sprint back into back into football and really, really seeing what these guys can do. Year three under Ron Roberts, year two under Jeff Grimes. Uh, I think I think it's going to be an exciting year all around. And I'm, I'm excited about the the defense just because there's so many new faces in critical positions. Will Williams look great at inside linebacker or will. And then. They kind of had like a rotation in the, the star position. You had Lorando Johnson, who's kind of been presumed a starter. Christian Morgan played some time as star. So that'll be an interesting battle when you get into fall to see who falls in place where. Because I think a lot of the guys in the secondary, especially the safety star and the, the two safety positions, they could all fit in um, either of those uh, slots. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Jalen Petrie, uh, there is an event that starts tomorrow, the NFL draft. Um, so we've talked about it, you know, on a couple of different occasions. 
Did you have anything to add or any preview for going into tomorrow's tomorrow night? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get to see Petrie get picked tomorrow. I think he's going to be day two. I think he's going to be a second round pick. Most of the, the mock drafts that I have read through have him going somewhere in the mid second round. Um, I did read an article today, though. This was also in The Athletic, and it was from uh, one of the 49ers beat writers, uh, basically profiling Petrie as somebody he hoped that the 49ers would go after. And there was a there was an interesting stat. He had more, t- and I, I, I need to double-check if this is true because it sounds unbelievable, but Aiden Hutchinson, who is considered to be possibly the number one overall pick, uh, pretty much a top three on most mock drafts, Jalen Petrie had more tackles for loss, like tackles behind the line of scrimmage than Aiden Hutchinson did this year. That's wild. Yeah. And again, like I need to go back and check that because it just sounds so unbelievable to me well, so he that had like that would be the case. Ungodly number, like 18 and a half. It was, yeah. And that's what he had. I, mean, I think they said Hutchinson wild. had 16. That's a wild and number so, for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the fact that, that the guy is, he's listed as a, depending on, who you look at some list him as a corner, some list him as a safety. He's I, I really do think his, his role in the NFL is going to be kind of a, a roving nickelback. It's, it's really yeah. going to be a, a Tyron Matthew. Um, I mean, he's kind of like, a, I guess he's kind of a nickel corner, but he's yeah, also he's, like safety, he's a, strong safety. He's a nickel corner undersized strong. Like you're basically, when you have him on the field, you might be playing like a three safety look. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder like how he'll look if he's covering tight ends because he's a little undersized. But so is but if you if they have figured out how to make Tyron Matthew a star in the NFL, like he's not yeah. just good, he's he's a star in this league. Jalen Petrie is, I think, has that same DNA and that same style of play. Um, and like we've said, as long as he goes to the right place and they deploy him in the correct way, I think Jalen Petrie is going to be highly successful. But Again, don't expect to see him get drafted in the first round tomorrow night. I still think I still think he's going to sit somewhere in the early to mid second round. Yeah, I mean, you really uh, you're watching with like hopefully like a team really falls in love with him and picks him like late bottom half of the first round. But I think if if he doesn't, and most likely he won't, you will you'll see him early in the second. So Friday Absolutely. night, yeah. Never. So you, you're you're not gonna week. you're not gonna have to wait till Saturday to see him picked. No, no. Friday night prime time, you'll hear his name called for sure. Yeah, he um, will get his name called, and he will be. Um, they will give him uh, plenty of coverage. As far as the other guys, I mean, they're all day three picks, but you could see him go as early as you know third, maybe not third, but like fourth round. My the biggest thing for me is does JT Woods jump ahead of Terrell Bernard? I've heard a lot of people, like, just ramping up this week have have been talking up JT Woods. I Yeah, I see that a lot on Twitter, but a lot of the mock drafts I see still have Bernard ahead of him, which surprises me. Again, nothing against Bernard. I just think – I don't think he is the prototypical NFL linebacker. Uh, and I think, I think JT Woods, I really think he's yeah. going to be a successful NFL player. So – I do want to see if somebody falls in love with JT Woods and maybe if he's the second guy off the board, that's the, that's the, going to be the big thing I'm watching is who, who ends up being the second guy off the board for us. Is it Terrell Bernard or JT Woods or does something crazy happen? 
where somebody falls in love with the speed of a Kalen Barnes and drafts him way too early or something like that. I think if anyone's going to go ahead of Terrell, it'll be JT Woods just because his ball skills coupled with, but he ran a four, three something at the combine. So, I mean, he's, he's a speedster. Yeah, he's and, fast. But he has the ball skills to go along with it, like all the picks that he had this year. Or yeah, the only career. way I see I see him or Bernard not being the second guy off the board from Baylor is if there's a, like, you remember when we were younger, I mean, it, it, we weren't that young when it happened, but when the Raiders fell in love with Darius Hayward Bay and took him in the top five. Oh, yeah, took him in, like, a, yeah, the first and, round. And nobody thought he was even going to be a first-round pick, you know? Um so that like unless something like that happens or who was it since someone remember i don't know you may have been too young for this uh whenever i can't remember the team they drafted like christian ponder in the first round oh man yeah and i'm like <laughs> that was uh i want to say that was buffalo that did that i was like this is wild but yeah i mean if you fall in love Lane gabbert <laughs> And you can teams talk themselves into like they just fall in love with the player. And if I think it's going to happen, it'll be we're we're talking like bottom fifteen of the first oh for round. sure, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I I agree with you. I think I I do think um, it's Bernard or Woods, and just based off of the mocks I'm reading, I, I think it'll probably end up being Terrell Bernard is the is the second guy off the board. An interesting thing I heard about the draft talking about Abram Smith was his, you know, they're talking up like, you know, he has experience on the defensive side of the ball, has experience on special teams. So this is the kind of guy you could get on your team. He's a three-way player. He's not just going to be a running back. He, you could put him on special teams, punt team, kickoff team, because he has experience playing on, on the defensive side of the ball, which is a selling point. Especially, and he's he's kind of echoed that when you have interviews with him, like he said, I'll play wherever they want me to play. So I definitely think he's getting drafted just because of his uh, skill set. Yeah, agreed. And you spoke, you spoke about Kalen. I think he's definitely getting drafted just because of his speed because those are things you can't coach. You can't coach that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you can coach everything else. You cannot coach a guy to be that fast. And I think same thing with Taekwondo. Like they'll be late for sure, but I think uh, – You'll see all five of those guys drafted. Yeah, I think I, I I am excited to see how many guys come off the board for us this year. But as far as the first round goes, I really don't. It's a it's a crazy year. Your team has a couple of picks. I don't, and they need help at every position. So I don't know what the Texans are going to do. I don't know how it's all going to fall because it's it's not like there's not a consensus. Like it's definitely going to this player is definitely going to be one and we kind of, we can kind of map out the top five or top 10 after that. Cause it could, you don't know what these teams think or you don't know what direction it's going to go. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like I don't really care much about the Texans right now anyway. So they have two picks. They have the third and 13th. I want to say, um, yeah, they're probably going to draft uh, an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. If I had to guess though, Real quick note, I have I'm I'm just scrolling through a mock that I had not looked through yet, and it's from Chad Reuter uh from five days ago on NFL.com. And he did a he did a seven-round mock. He does have not JT Woods or Terrell Bernard being the second guy off the board from Baylor. 
he actually has Tyquan Thornton going in the third round of the Cleveland Browns uh, with the 99th overall pick. That's wild. And I love Tyquan, but maybe. Yeah, who knows? Because he has the speed. I mean, he ran like a 4-2-8. Yeah, then the dude can catch. So, so yeah, and he has, you know, he's long. So, because a lot of, sometimes a lot of the fast receivers, you know, they're just smaller, like slot receiver type. So, you know, they're 5'11", 5'10", more diminutive in size. You don't normally see guys like 6'2", 6'3", you know. He's lighter in weight, but he's still he's that tall. He's about right at 200 pounds, maybe 180. And um, with that with that height, having that kind of speed. So you never know. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I think I think he could be a successful NFL receiver. I just uh, I think he needs to. He's you. It's something you would say in college, right? Like he needs to put some muscle on his frame. Yeah, but I just I don't know if he has that. So it'll be interesting to see. Like he's going to have to be, he's going to have to be uh, a finesse receiver that runs amazing routes and is is quick, like a a Ty Hilton. um, I think is kind of what he's going to have to model his game after. And so that's that's the NFL draft. I'm I've always been kind of like a draft nerd, to because I think of it as a college football event. I, I love college football. Um, and I'd like to see these players that we watched on Saturdays for. Do you, do you have a prediction for the number one overall pick? So I think it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. That's I agree. Gut feeling. Although I saw this, this evening, Daniel Jeremiah, who's a big, like former scout, big NFL network guy. He had a different player going number one. It was the defensive end from Georgia. I'm blanking on his name right now. But a lot of these, like, he doesn't have the production, though, in coming out of college that – but he has all, like, the immeasurables and the the, all the stuff that – leading up to the draft, all that stuff, he, like, knocked it out of the park. The shuttle, Mm -hmm. 40 and all that. Um, But – it's just wild that a team would draft a player without production, solely based on like measurables and potential and traits. And, but I've heard like Dane Brugler from the athletic, he says teams draft traits. They don't draft production in college, college production. Hmm. I'm sticking with Aiden Hutchinson. I think, I think he's going to be the number one overall pick. I'm too. Um, I am too. I, I think, I think the Big Ten is probably going to have a strong showing in the draft this year. And speaking of the Big Ten, let's talk a little bit about what we expect them to do and continue our little offseason series where we each give three bold predictions or or three kind of takes of our expectations of conferences outside the the Big 12, the Power Five, and the Big Ten this year. That sound good to you? Let's do it. All right, give me your first Big Ten bold prediction. My first Big Ten bold prediction is that Penn State will win six games. 
six games. Wow. That is, that is quite bold. Um, James Franklin has been, you know, a hot name out there. So him taking a step back, uh, that would be, or, you know, not taking a step forward, really. They, they lost six out of their last eight in 2021. And so they're, they're getting off on the wrong foot. So you're kind of predicting that they stay off on that wrong foot. Yeah. I think that we're going to see like, kind of like the decline. Cause there's the, you do have this effect where a coach is places has been somewhere a long time can kind of get stale. You know, unless your name is like uh, Nick Saban. Gotcha. And we just saw a coach get fired for two years after winning a national championship. So this this is true. Um, My first bold prediction is that Michigan is going to take a massive step back and go back to being the Michigan that we had seen for the last few years and not the Big Ten championship uh, Michigan that we've seen this year. I think their offense is still going to be garbage. Jim Harbaugh, for whatever reason, still doesn't figure out how to run an offense in college that is consistent and good. They had, they relied heavily on their defense last year, and that's a defense that's losing both Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and Dax Hill. Um, and so I think, and I think, yeah, and and they still don't have a good quarterback. So I I think I think the defense takes a big step back without its superstars. I think the offense stays stale and stagnant for most of the year. And I think Michigan goes back to being a team that lost, probably loses three or four games um, and finishes probably behind Michigan state in the what West standings or in the East standings. Sorry. Um, I think, I think that's my first bull prediction is that Michigan will take a big step back. Okay. So I'm going to stay in the state of Michigan and I'm going to say, I think Michigan state drops down to earth. Um, they no had Kenneth Walker, a lot of, and the reason it, and Kenneth Walker was a transfer. They had a lot of transfers last year that kind of built that roster into what it was. And I just don't think you can live year to year surviving on transfers. Interesting. Okay. And not that they're going to be like four and eight or whatever, but I think they're not going to be a nine, 10 win team. Okay. So you're like seven and five. They're going to just come back down to earth. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to take my second one and I'm going to, I'm going to walk over to the the Western division and I'm going to take uh, my bold prediction is that Purdue will win the West this year. Um, So the West normally is dominated by Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota has gotten pretty good. Uh, Nebraska's garbage, Illinois garbage, Northwestern's garbage, but overall, like, the West is it's like the old big 12 North. It's, it's the one where you just have to be a little bit better than good and have some things fall the right way for you and you can win it. Um, and I'm taking Purdue to do that this year. They won nine games last season. They have their starting quarterback coming back. Uh, they have Jeff from as their head coach. They run a really explosive offense. And I think they'll probably lead the big 10 in offense this year. Um, if not, then they'll be second behind Ohio state, but Looking at their defense, they gave up 30 points a game in 2020, and they dropped that down to 22 points a game in 2021. Um, so I, I think I think they're going to continue that forward. And 
I, I'm, I'm excited to see what Purdue can do. I like Jeff Brome as a coach. I think he's kind of slowly building up this team to be really, really solid. And I think this is the year that they take a big step forward. Um, and what I'm expecting to be um, a really weak and question mark filled Big Ten West this year. So I think they'll probably win the Big Ten West because I think they might like pull off an upset against Wisconsin and end up in some kind of tie there and that head to head will give it to them or something like that. So um, uh, I'm picking Purdue to win the West. Okay. And my final one, I am going to say Rutgers is going to be bowl eligible. Ooh, I like that one. Greg Schiano bringing them back. He knows how to, how to coach at Rutgers. He's done it once already. They won five games last year. They were one game away. Yeah. And I think or actually, that, no, they did make a bowl game because they were five and eight. So that means they, they must have been, were they the, they were they the were, team that. They the one that they, got in. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they got Texas. in over Texas. That's right. Because someone dropped out because of COVID. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm saying they're going to, they're going to earn the trip to the bowl game. Gotcha. Well, they're going to have to make a big improvement on offense. They only average, they averaged less than 14, they had 13.7, yes. less than 14 points a game last year on offense in the big, in, in big 10 play. So if they can improve that offense, then yeah, I can see, I, I can see an extra win there. Like I, I, I can buy that to where they'll, they'll go from five to six, get themselves ball eligible um, and pull that off. Now they are in the East, which is the tougher of the two divisions, yes. but, but yeah, I'm not saying I, they're going to win. I'm just saying they're going to win enough. Um, but yeah, they were hit hard on defense. So yeah, the offense will need to take set. But I think, I mean, if I think we can get six wins, especially huh. they're in the same. I mean, they have to. They do get to play like Indiana, Northwestern, and so I mean, I think they're going to be improved. I think Greg Shannon knows how to coach a Rutgers, knows how to get the players that he needs and to develop them. And like you said, they won five games last year. I think they'll make improvement and get to that, um, get over that hump and earn that bowl eligibility. Gotcha. All right, I'm I'm gonna make a my final bold prediction. This one may piss some people off, but I I do think it's, I, I I do believe this, and it's a, it's a bold prediction. But the Big Ten is going to end the SEC ACC dominance in the national championship game over the last few years that we've seen. Okay. Ohio State will win the national title this year. They have CJ Stroud coming back. Their offense is stacked again. They want they run one of the best and most explosive offenses in the entire country. Um, I really, really like Stroud as a quarterback. But the thing that has hurt them in the past has been their defense. And they went out and and pulled a coup, hired Jim Knowles out of Oklahoma State, who we played against twice last year, and he is the real deal as a defensive coordinator. I don't think it's going to take him long at all scheme wise to get these kids in the right position and ready to play much better defense than we saw at times from them last year. And all their defense has to do is be a little bit better. And, and I think this is a national championship club. So um, I am picking Ohio state to win the national champ, the champ national title this year. That's, that's my third bold prediction for the big 10. All right. And before we move on, I did want to, there was a little bit of other news, which I don't know if it was like news, but we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, The new Big 12, new members that are coming in, there was a report today that they are planning to join the conference 
2023. So next season. Um, yeah, year year after this one. I know this one. That was reported by uh, it was one of the athletic writers, right? Was it Jake Trotter that tweeted that out, or I think for, I saw it was like John Rothstein, who's a basketball John, writer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right, the first one I saw that reported um, it. Now that is, of course, the rumor that I think we've all heard for a while is like that was the plan, and that is why the uh, the the commissioners' meetings that are going to happen this summer that should coincide with like big 12 media days uh, in the summer around July, which you and I are going to try to attend. Yes. Um, I, I think, I think we're going to hear a decision about that around that time. And that's also when they'll announce the way that the divisions will be formed. But yeah, I think the plan has always been that there was going to be two or three years that, that we would get U of H BYU UCF and um, Cincinnati in the league. Uh, 2023 maybe is a year earlier than I expected. I, I would have, I would have, if I was putting money down, I probably would have said 2024. But yeah, it looks like we're going to have uh, a fully expanded conference with Oklahoma and Texas starting after this season. So here's a my bold prediction for that is that you will never see Oklahoma and Texas in the same conference with University of Houston. I uh, see. I disagree with you there. I think. I, I think, think that's going to happen. I think. I think Oklahoma is legitimately trying not to spend any money right now. Something. I don't think Oklahoma cares about playing U of H. I think Texas cares about playing yeah. U of H. And but, but I think it's I don't like think SEC Oklahoma wants them both at the same time. They won't take Texas and then a year exactly. Later and Texas, Texas isn't going to pay Oklahoma's way. I think. And to tell you the truth, I don't think Oklahoma wants to dive into the SEC with a brand new football coach who's never been a head coach before. I think. I think. Oklahoma is going to be just fine saying we'll take three more years. Yeah, sure. I think whatever I think is if that like again, this is they're still negotiating. So this isn't like set in stone. They're planning on coming in 2023. If it ever gets like yeah, they come to an agreement with um the AAC and the, those because BYU's are that that's they don't have a conference, they're coming. That's happening yeah. in 2020. All they have to do is reschedule stuff. And so if if they have an agreement, I think the, the negotiations for the exit will ramp up a lot. They may, but will. again, I, I just, I, everything that I have read and everything that I have heard, Oklahoma is so fine with staying Pat, even if those schools join, like they are, they are not about to go out there and spend a bunch of money. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of reports out there like Oklahoma's broke or whatever. That's not true. Oklahoma's not broke, but I have heard from multiple people and read it in a couple of places that there were some like university led projects that happened or were started right before COVID hit. When COVID hit, it it hurt their bottom line because let's face it, they make a lot of money off of athletics. Athletics yeah. wasn't allowed to have fans in the like. So a lot of schools lost a lot of money and that kind of put Oklahoma behind the eight ball of where they wanted to be financially. And so what they've said around this whole time is, We've got the SEC waiting for us. We'll get there eventually. We are not in a position where we feel like we need to spend, what is it, like $86 million to leave the Big 12 right now. Again, the rest of the, I guess they have to pay for the rest of the um, grant of You rights. have to pay all your TV money to the rest all of the All your school. TV money stays with the conference. Yeah. So that'd be the, that'd be two years worth, basically. So, yeah. So I, I don't. Probably about 80. I don't, I don't think Oklahoma's going to do that. They maybe leave a year early. Like I could see them saying, okay, we're going to leave in 2025 instead of 2026. But 
I, I, I don't think that they're going to leave three years early or four years early. I just, I don't see that happening. And like you said, the SEC isn't going to take one without the other. The SEC is not going to pay for them to leave. One of the schools isn't going to pay the other one to leave. So um, I think this is totally fine. And to tell you the truth, I don't think the SEC is in a huge hurry about it either. The longer that this goes on, there's just still going to be more and more press talking about it. And I think all parties involved like that. And, you know, I think A&M is going to do everything they can to 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 delay Texas coming. And uh, I don't think anybody's in a, in a huge rush ex- with the exception of the University of Texas. I think the University of Texas is the only they would institution like that they, wants this to happen right now. If they could. They would have, they, they would be in 2020. They'd be in SEC. Yeah, yeah, Texas would have already gone. Um, and I, I mean, I hope it comes to pass because I I can't wait to have to Texas have to play at Houston or at UCF. Oh, I I I fully believe that Texas is going to have to play on the road at all four of them. I can't in wait. their first year. Like if they come in twenty twenty three, Texas is going to Houston. Texas is going to Cincinnati. Texas is going to Orlando, and Texas is going to Provo. Here's what you do at Provo, followed by at Morgantown. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you schedule it. And then at Houston, like you yes. got to go. You got to go. Like fully no buys. There's no buys. It's like straight. And then bam, down. bam, bam. Yeah. Or or here's what you go. You go Morgantown, Provo, Orlando. So it's east, west, east. <laughs> oh yeah, that's even better. Well, Joe, let's let's give the people what they want. All right. The reason they tune in. So this is your spoiler warning for Moon Knight. If you haven't watched it, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. But we're going to talk about spoilers regarding Moon Knight and Marvel, etc. Okay, now that they're gone, Joe, give me your thoughts. This season, it's out of order. That's as I've thought about it more and more. That's how I feel about it. This should have been an episode two or three. Like this is what this episode was this time was just giving us full backstory like okay guys here's how we came to be this is how steven was formed this is how mark became moon knight this is the the history of you know who mark specter is the trauma that he went through um really his superhero origin story and i think this is something that you should have put a couple episodes before this rather than like having episode one, which is nobody quite knows what's going on, but there's something weird going on here. Episode two, which is like, okay, we're going to give you a little bit more and you're going to kind of like introduce you and help you understand who the villain is. And then episodes three and four were like, here's little maybe tastes of action. And you're kind of like waiting for it to ramp up. And now we get to this episode where it's like, all right, we're going to completely shut the action down and just give you exposition and story and i feel like just give me all of that at the front this is it's cool information to have but it's the vegetables of a superhero show right i'm ready for the meat i i need i want the action i want to see the fun stuff happen i want to see the drama that's really occurring between the superhero and his villain i want to see mark specter versus arthur harrow that's what i'm here to watch i want to see Konshu versus amit 
that's what I'm here to watch. And for whatever reason, in a not very long season, it's only going to give us six episodes. They're just so like hellbent on not giving that to us. And that's what's confusing me. Okay, I'm going to talk about the episode just on its merits, right? So uh, I think this episode, you had to get to this point because to me, it's like a, a visual representation of kind of Mark's inner, you know, his like him working out these feelings of of why Stephen exists in this part of his personality. And having to come to terms with all this, because I think that's probably the last time you see Steven. Based on what happened in the episode. Yeah, so since we already, again, major spoiler here, if you if you come this far thinking, I don't care about spoilers, this is a major spoiler alert, but I'll give you one, two, three, there you go. But yeah, as you mentioned, like Steven essentially dies in this episode. He gets thrown over the boat into the duat and is overtaken by uh, by sand by the unbalanced souls and becomes kind of like a stand, a sand statue as you will. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that they would just be completely cutting Stephen Grant out of it, but it would feel like there would be just so like, there's no weight to that. Or there's no consequence to that at all. What I was waiting for to happen this whole episode was I was I wasn't expecting the the explanation of why the the hearts you know so she puts the hearts on there balances them against the feather and that's whether or not you you basically go to heaven or hell that's essentially what that decides um I was waiting to find out that the reason why it wasn't balancing was because there was a third heart we've talked yeah, all we this time where we're expecting this third personality to come up they've given they've hinted at it multiple yeah. times whether it was from you know, that person being stabbed and neither Mark nor Steven wanting to take ownership of that. And us as the viewer, not knowing who did it, um, Mark running into the third sarcophagus that was red and dancing around and they, they just kind of ignored it. So I was fully expecting um, the resolution of that being the reason why we can't balance your scales is because there is a third person within you that you have to bring their heart to be judged along with Steven and Mark's. And they didn't give us that. So um, I am interested to find out what happens with that. Um, and do we find out that there still is another personality contained within? I think we will. I just hope. See, here's the problem. Every Marvel series so far has had this issue with like, like sticking the landing. Like there's high points, there's low points. They kind of do a lot. And then you get to this episode and you're like, man, they got a lot to do. And we're in the same spot, whether it's one division or um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, it's all the same. Loki managed to do it because they just had an amazing final episode that did the best of the, the Marvel shows. But, um, and but Loki the still spot. left us. Yes. Lo and, and again, spoiler alert here for Loki. Loki still left us in a really unresolved place. Absolutely. And they, they all kind of do. And I think you're going to, I mean, that's, that's part of like the debate. Like, are these standalone shows just to set up like another show or another movie or another property? 
And a lot of times they they're are. here to set up the the this phase of the MCU. Well, yeah, because what the MCU does is what it's been doing for like twenty some odd films has been we're telling an overall narrative that ties together several different movies. So you're not going to get real resolution in any film because we're going to leave you with a a post credit stinger that's going to make you want to go to the next thing. So, but, so my question for you, we have we have one episode left in Moon Knight this season. What what do we get in episode six? What 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 are we going to see? I think you have to see the third personality in some way manifest. And well, I think you got to see Mark. I don't know what's go. I don't know exactly what's going on to be <laughs> at the end of this episode. Like, is this is he dead? Is this? What they're telling us, like this is where he's at, this like underworld, or is this uh, some type of mental fabrication that this right. person is, has a broken is mind? Is Arthur Harrow somehow in control of this? Yeah, is yeah, because he's there. That that's that's because I still don't know what's exactly going on. Yeah, me neither. Like you're in this psychiatric ward where he jumps in and out of interacting with a you know, a, a psychiatric doctor version of the, the villain, Arthur Harrow. Um, in some scenes, he's, his face is all busted up. Other scenes, it's not. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's it's very strange. And um, like, there's like, I don't know if you noticed, but like he said, st- like when they went back to the memory of his his little the, his little brother and himself running into the cave, they step on like a bird skeleton that looks just like Conchu. Yeah. Um, but the, the core thing for me that I keep going back to is, um, the, the hippopotamus God, I cannot remember her name, but she, she literally says like, even if, yeah, Tawit or something like that. Yeah. She even says like, even if I get you back, like, you're just going to wake up in a body that's been like, you're, you're just in a dead body. Like, I mean, it has to be legit dead because he was shot twice in the chest. Yeah. Like, I mean, it looked like he got hit in the heart. So the only thing that I think could happen here is is Layla, his wife, is somehow going to have to be the one that saves Khonshu, and then he makes it back, and then Layla is able to heal, or and then Khonshu is able to heal Mark again, uh, like yeah, he did when we saw when he became Moon Knight the first time. Because if you the this episode ends, he's in like the afterlife. It's like this, you know, sea of reeds. Right. Yeah. Like he's not even, he couldn't get through the, he couldn't get through the gates of Osiris, which uh, the hippo said she'd never seen them closed before. We're starting to see unbalanced souls like pour into the duat, which the assumption there is that um, I guess Amit is free. So Arthur yeah. Harrow has gotten his hands on the little Amit statue and she is starting to judge and kill people. And yeah, we've got Mark Spector sitting in quite literally the Egyptian version of heaven. Yeah, so I don't even know what to expect. I would think you have to have Mark come back and be healed, whatever. So the advantage that this show has going for it is they have established that like Egyptian godly magic exists. Yeah. So you know, you can kind of retcon anything and just fall. It's, you know, it's the Harry Potter excuse like, oh, don't worry about it. It's magic. Um, so 
I what my guess is is that there's going to be some introduction of like reanimation or bringing somebody back to life that has to do with something in Egyptian culture. Um, and I think maybe that's how he gets back or, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like Layla somehow finds a way to get into the, the pyramid and find, um, find Conchu's little statue sets him free. And then he's able to figure out how to free Mark. Um, you know, I I'm guessing you're probably going to end up being right. That Steven is gone forever. I think, I think it's, it would be tough for Steven to continue to exist knowing what he knows about himself now that he's a figment of somebody's imagination that was created off of a, you know, knockoff Indiana Jones movie poster. And he literally only exists to be what he even called himself a stress ball um, because of times of trauma. So as a personality, I think it would have been like, he's in an extreme situation and he's trying to survive. But if he had gotten out of that, how does, how is he able to reconcile that as a personality moving forward, knowing that he's not, he's not the real one. Like he knew that Mark, Mark was Mark and that Steven was created by Mark. So yeah, he was always, I guess he says himself, like he thought he, it was reverse. Right. Yeah. He always thought he was like, Mark was the thing in his head, not the yeah. other, not the other way around. Yeah. So I'm, I, I guess I give them credit there because like at that point you kind of have to cut Steven out though. I, you, like you and I have talked about so many times, Oscar Isaac is just delivering an amazing performance. And, hope and this episode is just, he's it's so amazing. good. It's, God, his so performance good. is so good. Yeah. I mean, that's what, with, I guess the reason I, I, I came with a, a positive from the episode is is just because I was mesmerized by the performance that it was just so good that I thought, man, that's just some like just great acting. It really was. And, and it's only Mark or, I mean, it's only Oscar yeah, Isaac. He carries really, a whole episode. episode. You've got, you've got a CGI hippopotamus and then maybe three to five minutes total of Ethan Hawke. And then besides that, it's basically just Oscar Isaac. I did notice again they they're doing all the the CGI heavy stuff is like at night or dark, whenever the sand men like climb up on the boat, sand souls whatever, and like you can see like if they punch one and like their face half of it goes away, uh-huh. but the, it's it's so dark that it looks now cool. that whole environment was CGI, so I'll give them credit. And so, but they do it. That's kind of like we talked about, like they only fight like at night. Not great. Yeah, they only fight at night. They don't fight during the day. But like, or he only turns the moon night at night because when he was on the rooftop in Egypt, didn't turn into moon night. And when he's fighting those guys, even though he could have probably could have used to be but moon night, but that's what we were talking about last time. Like, I still don't know the rules. I don't know if like, is it I do think I do think or? he can only turn into it at night because the whole point is that he protects the tra- travelers of the night. Okay, well, that makes more sense. But I thought it looked cool, but you, you know, again, it was dark, so yeah, who knows? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I you think it. do you think we're gonna get any level of closure with Arthur Harrow and Amit in the final episode? Um, I think you will with, with that particular storyline. I hope you, not. I think with I, I'm at the point now where like they have slow rolled this so much that I don't think they have given us enough of a like set up for the battle between hero and villain 
for it to have be given justice in this final episode. I'm hoping that the final episode is we get closure on how Mark comes back. They get Conchu back. And then now it's set up where, okay, now we have to go stop Amit and Arthur Harrow. And that's what season two will be. I don't know if there's a season two. I think what you're most likely looking at is a Moon Knight film. Do you think this is a movie worthy? Uh, no, but I think Oscar Isaac is a movie actor. I mean, yeah, but I, I the amount of money and production value that goes into these, whether or not they're using a lot of CGI, um, I mm. think can sway people. Yeah. I don't know. I've always thought of it as like it's a one time. One kind of like one division, like this is we're going to be like it's a limited series. We're doing one season to tell this story. And then he may be at other things, but he's not going to be in a series. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think this is going to be like Loki. I think they're going to set this up to where it's going to be a part of uh, there's going to be more than just this. Yeah, um, I would like to see they're probably going to have like fake closure on the whole Harold Amit thing. And then you know, they maybe get like a teaser with like. You know, Amit's not gone or something of that nature. I don't know. They're definitely going to set that. something up because that's what they do. So I, I just it, I'm just getting such Game of Thrones vibes off of this right now that they're just going to have to rush the end. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like, I mean, that's just like we talked about. That's just that's what they do. Now they haven't figured it out. Maybe they will, but they start they pull at so many strands that when it gets down to like the final episodes, like we got to wrap all this up. Right, we're like, are we going to see Jake Lockley? Are we going to defeat Amit? Is there going to be a battle with? Is he going to become Amit's avatar, and now he he whatever that is has to fight Mark Spector? We also just, like what happened to Layla. Is you know how do they get Khonshu back? Is so is Layla now going to be Moon Knight? I mean, how? Yeah, like, they, I mean, it doesn't have to be Oscar Isaac, I guess. Moon Knight, if you're going to have a Moon Knight series, you know. But also, it's like. My thing is, like, I just hope they don't allude to Jake or I'm calling him Jake, the third personality. And then you get like a one minute after credit scene and then you reveal it because that would kind of suck. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait a week and find out. Yeah. But has your, because you kind of like, they haven't got me yet. Have, have you got involved or? invested in the series like of the past series yet no i mean i just it's i want to see what happens but i'm not i don't know like i hope i hope they do it justice and we get a season two and it's not just this like rushed thing but i don't know i don't know what i don't know what we'll see loki like i was up like at 4 a.m to watch loki on on wednesdays like (laughs) now again i have more history with the character and the actor has history with playing this part that he understands it completely true and i was so was the only thing i've been that like that level about was uh mandalorian yeah i did the same thing with mandalorian i loved loki though just because i think i'm into like the multiverse stuff 
Loki was very good. It, it's I think Loki was the best one that they've done so far. Speaking of the multiverse, I purchased tickets to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Pre-ordered them uh, in IMAX. That'll be going to in two weeks, two weeks, one week, one week. Yeah, we get. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be the week after Moon Knight ends. So yeah, we got we get Moon Knight, Moon, Moon Knight this week, Moon Knight next week, Doctor Strange the week after. Yeah, so I already got tickets. Taking me and the family are going to see the multiverse. And then of what? Madness. Two weeks after that, we get Kenobi. Yes. So it'll be busy. It's going to be it's going to be a fun, fun few weeks. So. Our friend Scott Spainsmith, he texted me today and he's like, all the all the news are dropping. He's like, man, you're you're going to run out of time on the podcast. We may have to cut Moon Knight out. And I was like, there's always time for Moon Knight. And he, he texts me, he's like, I'm going to have to drop out halfway through because I haven't seen it yet. And I was like, that's like, fine. We give a spoiler warning. That's why we do it. Yeah. He or you can just watch me, Moon Knight. He just texts me, said, I'm watching the newest episode now. <laughs> so um, anything else you're watching? I know you've you, uh, been, wa- been watching Halo. Yeah, I've been watching Halo and Winning Time. I haven't watched the latest Winning Time yet. Okay. It was a busy weekend, and it's got it's got uh, some drama, like okay. a new wrinkle in, in there. So I think I think you'll enjoy the the latest Winning Time. But yet, it, Winning Time more than any other show for me right now. Every time it ends, I'm like, I just wanted to. I want to see what happens next. Let keep playing, keep going. Did you see the latest like uh, Jerry West thing? No, I have not. He's I don't know who he talked to. But I saw this on Twitter. It's like he said, I'm gonna paraphrase something to the effect of like like he's he'll take it to the Supreme Court if he has to. They're making a mockery of the Lakers and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, now you're seriously now I think it's like performance art. Are you trying to act like the guy from the he's just he's just being the character that he is in the show? Yeah, but I mean, like, come on, it's calm down. What's funny though it's, is I mean, we talked about this satire. last week on like how Jerry West in the show is an asshole, but he's kind of like the asshole you like for whatever yeah. reason. There yeah. is a very there's only I think one scene in this episode with Jerry West. I, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there's only one scene with Jerry West in this episode, and he's like a highly relatable and like epic character for two minutes in a conversation he has with one of the other characters and. Like he gets painted in a very good light of being like, okay, this is a guy who gets it. And so, I mean, that's what's funny is I, I often tell people like, don't, don't judge a piece of art until it's been finished. Like don't sit there and say like somebody that's painting a picture, it looks like shit until they're done painting the picture. Um, For sure. Like a Baylor football game, right? It's a four quarter game. Don't freak out in the second quarter. Um, but you have to look at the like that's what's been happening is like there's a character arc that's building like i think like jerry bus for example has become less and less lovable as it's gone on um and uh, you know I, I i just i think just take a deep breath jerry west calm down if you don't like the show don't watch it nobody nobody thinks this is a documentary um but just just take a breath calm down and and be happy that you know, your name is still being mentioned in some way. 
Here's a good tweet regarding winning time. Some, someone said, in response to winning time, Magic went and made an entirely different show to deflect. Kareem doesn't see the humor and wrote a blog about how problematic it is. Jerry West is angry and demands an apology. It kind of seems like the show nailed all three characters. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so that's waiting time. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it tonight. It's a slower do, episode. I do but... like it. But I'm not really watching anything else. I mean, it's summer or gay, it's spring, but it's, you know, it's getting part two, uh, it's, you know, almost May. So, yeah, I've just fallen back on watching more Top Gear. Okay. <laughs> I, I just can't just... not watch that show. I've kind of, we talked about, like, I was watching Yellowstone and I went to, like, abrupt, like, stop. Like, I think after season two. Like, my yeah, wife's like, hey, do you want to watch Yellowstone? I'm like, yeah, nah, not really. That's what happened to me. Like, season one, I was like, all right, I'm into this, yeah. And then season two, like, I was into it for, but then after that, it was just kind of like, like, see, I, I think I watched like half of season three or something. I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to anymore, yeah. So, I'll probably pick it back up. I just was like, yeah, I don't, I'm something like, oh, got free time, I want to watch Yellowstone. I was like, well, whatever, yeah. Like, Yellowstone's one of those shows that falls into the trap of like it becomes a soap opera. Like yeah. the, dr- the drama was believable in season one. And then they're like, okay, like how do we keep the drama? Like they felt like they kept having that need to up the ante. And eventually you get to a point of like plausibility is out the window. And you're like, this isn't how any, any group exists. Like, I, I just don't care that much anymore. <laughs> it was, I mean, it got ridiculous. Like I remember at the first season one, I was like, man, you know how many people Casey's murdered? Yeah, yeah. This dude just keeps killing people. <laughs> and and then, he's always got an ex- like that's the other thing is it's like, yeah, he always kills people, but he's not a bad guy. There's a reason. Yeah. But I was like, man, he's catching some bodies over here. Don't go yeah, to he, Montana. Like, it's like, why is it always you? <laughs> I know he has the worst luck, finds himself in the worst position all the time. Yeah, it's almost like writers put him there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, funny how that worked out. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Nothing much on my front. Um gonna watch the draft, nerd out, and be a dork for three days. Woo! All right. Jalen Petrie, sneak into the first round. You got this, buddy. I'm gonna wheel it into existence. Matt, where can the people find you? You find me on Twitter at Matt D. Workman. Find the podcast. At the Bear Dim Pod. And how about you, Joe? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Joe underscore Goodman. Um, and occasionally on our daily bears. I think I'm gonna have another piece coming out this weekend. I just gotta gotta how are you? How far are you you gotten in your in my series? I have series. done three schools so far. I've done the University of Houston, Texas Tech, and uh um Oh, who else? I did somebody else. I can't even remember. But I have uh, another. I have another school lined up and uh, ready to go. I just need to um, get that squared away with the person that I'm working with from that, that school, and I will. I'll have that out. So awesome. be on the lookout. I won't spoil it. Um, and then uh, the hardest part's honestly finding people to talk to because you want to. I always like to get somebody that is. Uh, 
that is in the know and people might want to hear about, not just some, you know, random fan. Uh, but I don't necessarily want it to be like the, the radio announcer for West Virginia athletics, you know? Um, but I do have a person that I think is actually pretty exciting um, for the next school that I have coming out. So be on the lookout on our daily bears for the 12 for 12 series. You heard it here. Bob Huggins. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got. Joe, have a good night. And um, as always, stick him back. Sick of Matt. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.